Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on the Academy Director of the DC United Soccer, or in some parts of the world, Football Club, Pat Okuma. And Oaks is a great friend of mine. Uh, We've talked a lot of different development stuff over the years. Right now, he's the Academy Director at DC United, the MLS Club. Unbelievable soccer coach, has coached at the collegiate level, was a coach of the year at Ithaca College, um, and and just an all-around great guy. And so it was really, really fun to get him on the podcast. Really, really insightful conversation. But before we do get over to Oaks... Let's bring on another insightful guy in a one Jehu, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today? Call me note-taking Nancy on this <laughs> podcast. Pretty excited about my new note-taking thingy. Yeah. Anyways, you guys are here about that on the podcast. Uh, I'm doing well, man. I've had a I've had an awesome week. Uh, I got to take a bunch of people up to, or I got to work with a bunch of the my friends that work at the first form headquarters here in St. Louis. Um, got to train them of a first form over the last weekend. So that just kind of started the whole, the whole week off on a good note for me. I love that place. Uh, it's it's the, all the supplements that I use and all my guys use. Um, and then I got this new thing for my home gym called an Ancor dude. Like I, I I'm hoping that I get a deal with them so I can give our listeners a discount. Dude, this thing is what next is it? level. It's called an Ancor trainer. Um, it's, you know, did you ever use Kaiser's you ever use yeah. the Kaiser machine, those air compressors? Explain, explain to the listeners what that is. It's kind of like a, if you guys know what like a cable machine is, you know, like the pulleys with the weight stacks, it's a Kaiser is like that, but you get a readout of your power for every rep. And then you can change how much weight is used, uh, by air compression, like a big air compressor system. And what's really cool is with the pulley weight stack at a, at a gym, if you pull it really hard, you're going to break the thing because the pulley is going to shoot up and then come back down. It's basically a lot more concentric than eccentric. So like pulling it away and then it's different when it goes back. If you pull too hard with a Kaiser, it's the same amount of pressure, uh, weight the whole time. And it's the same thing with this Ancor, except it's a fifth of the price. There's no air. The only difference is you don't have a readout. Um, but it's unbelievable. Mike Boyle uses it. Obviously he's been on our podcast. Love that guy. Um, tons of people in, in the, in the strength and conditioning world use it. And I got one for my house. I got my first workout in today. Dude, I, I, I barely sleep in the summer. It's a, it's really terrible. I I don't, nobody should do that. I don't encourage that at all, but I don't, I don't get to sleep a lot because I work so much, but I, I literally, 
went to bed at like 12 last night, was giddy, was so excited. I had my contractor come in and put this thing in because I just didn't want to mess it up. Super easy to put in. And I woke up at like two, oh, it's three more hours. I woke up at three, oh, two more hours. I woke up at four, oh, one more hour, go back to sleep. Woke up at five, ripped some pre-workout at 5.02 a.m. I was in my garage gym at like 5.10, <laughs> had a great workout with this thing. It's so exciting. I want to get a bunch in my gym. So if anybody's gonna gonna make a home gym, like, or any trainers out there and a lot of trainers and coaches and, and like junior programs, teams I work with, I'm gonna encourage them to get these things because you can do so much on them and they're not paying me to say this like i literally i love this piece of equipment so anybody out there looking to make their youth programs gym better or you know home gym hit me up and ask me about it because like i'm that passionate about it it's a very very cool product it's very versatile what's really cool is you can take it with you on the road so like baseball players hook this up um after a game and do a workout they can you can hook it up to a fence like it's this thing is unbelievable it's very very cool so that that i'm like super stoked about Wow. I can tell. Yeah. I'm a nerd, dude. I love gym equipment. Anything that can get me or my guys 1% better. I am all about it. I remember when our strength coach at Cornell, when we got Kaiser machines, it was, it was this exact same game changer conversation. He was so giddy and so pumped like for him. And and it's probably the same with you. Like he was so pumped for what he was able to do now and how much better it was going to make the players. And so, yeah, he was, uh, it's it's so funny. Your demeanor right now is the exact same. (laughs) I'm like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish, I wish I could say this. Oh, I shouldn't say it this way, but like my last couple days, not as amazing. I know why what's going on. Well, so I am in, uh, New Jersey right now. I'm at the Jersey Shore, not the fist pumping Jersey Shore, more like 1950, 1950 Jersey Shore, where it's a little quiet and people are riding bikes everywhere and everything. So my wife, Emma, as you know, uh, she has family that has a house out here. So we're out here for a week and it's awesome. But we drove out here. So that was interesting. How three far kids is that? under six years old, 14 hours. <laughs> so we split it up into two days. So we leave yesterday and yesterday was Wednesday. So we leave yesterday and there's obviously Chicago was a big city. Traffic sucks in Chicago, but there was way more traffic than typical. And we left at like two o'clock to make sure we didn't hit rush hours. So we're like, hopefully we miss it because we have to go through the city to get out East and still unbelievable traffic right? Unbelievable traffic. Find out today. I didn't even know this. So I'm not like a Gen Zer, but Lollapalooza is in Chicago this weekend. So everybody's coming into Chicago for Lollapalooza, the big music festival. It's like the Coachella of the Midwest type stuff. And so I'm like, man, so we get out of Chicago It take what usually would take us like 45 minutes to an hour, probably took us two hours. Then we get out of Chicago, get in, in Indiana, and it's a legitimate monsoon for about an hour and a half. We were blinkers on going about 30 miles an hour on the highway because you couldn't see right in front of you. Then I got three kids under six and back. My baby who doesn't cry ever is screaming. (laughs) Like it's just absolutely insane. So we wanted to get like seven hours out and get to like the Pittsburgh area, but we end up not getting that far and getting to Cleveland, which added to today's trip, which it is what it is. Right. So today's trip, even better. So we're going through, we get up, we stay right outside of Cleveland, get up, 
and we get out about eight, eight thirty, whatever it was, and trips going pretty well. And then, you know, we stop a couple different times, but then we stop in, um, we're about an hour outside of where we're going to be, uh, cause the kids got to go to the bathroom. We got to get some food, yada, yada, yada. So we stop kind of a remote part of New Jersey. And so we get into, we actually stopped at a Rite Aid. So we get in, get some food, whatever. My three-year-old, she'll be three in August. We're going to the bathroom. As we're walking to the bathroom, she just decides, nah, I'm just going to go to the bathroom right here in the middle of the floor, in the middle of the store. She's potty trained. <laughs> She's been potty trained forever. But just, you know, for shits and giggles, we're just going to, you know, unload right here on the floor. So it takes a whiz <laughs> right there on the floor, which was kind of embarrassing but you know then you have to change her and all that fun stuff so then after that we get her cleaned up we get in the car we get all the stuff we need to get and you know how you get in kind of like remote areas and sometimes the gps on your phone goes a little haywire so all of a sudden it's taken us into like these different spots we're in like really remote spots it keeps changing we turn in different places and stuff and then all of a sudden i'm going this way i don't realize how fast i'm going boom cop see you later get a ticket. I'm like, you got to be absolutely kidding me. <laughs> you know, the kid, we're, it's been 13 hours in the car. The kids are actually pretty good. The baby's a little, whatever, a little flustered, but then ticket, boom, we should have been already there by now, but because of the GPS, because of the monsoon, the traffic, all of that, we're not there yet. And so, you know, for all the parents out there that are listening, they can probably empathize that many hours in a car. <laughs> with three kids. I will tell you, we got this thing on the back where you can actually put an iPad. It like sticks to the back of your seat. So the kids can like put their headphones in and watch a movie. Yep. And so that certainly helped, but Oh man, it's been, a, it's been a couple days. I'm really excited to be on the beach tomorrow and uh, be in, in Jersey, but, and see my wife's family and stuff, but Oh, it's been a couple days. No I'm Ancor machines here. No, <laughs> machines. I haven't been giddy. <laughs> Oh man, I feel for you. I, uh, 14 hours in general, but then when you're white knuckling it in the rain, yeah, it, 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 it flooded here. Like I had kids who couldn't get to the gym this week a couple of days because their streets really? were literally flooded. Yeah, it was wild. It rained uh rained like 13 inches or something in or nine inches in 13 hours was like a, a record in Missouri, maybe even maybe even the US. I have no idea. But also, how old are we that we're talking about the weather? Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Old we're man not yelling at the clouds. <laughs> yes, enough. Yeah, well, we were, I mean, we weren't really talking about the weather. Yeah, okay. All right. A little bit. All right. We're not that old. Yeah. You're not 37 yet. You still got a couple. Well, you got a month, know, about a month. I got about a month. You're old balls, loose skin. You are <laughs> over the hill. You're 37. I'm a young spring chicken, 36, feeling alive. 36 and 11 twelfths. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So uh, we will get over to this conversation, but um, sometimes I ask you this on the intros. This was awesome. Like, what did you think of this conversation with Oaks? Really good, man. Really good. I mean, you, you know, like I love playing other sports in my gym all the time with all my clients. Like I like making up games with, with constraints that I think are going to help them on the ice. So I love bringing on somebody who is, you know, prominent in a different sport and, and hearing their perspective and, ways that they go about things and, you know, said a lot of stuff. And he said that one quote, I, uh, I sent it to you. I just turned my, my tablet thing off, but he said the one quote here that like really, really, um, meant a lot to me. He said he was talking about, um, resiliency. Yeah. Resiliency. And how do we get players to, um, 
accept challenges and stuff like that? How do we get players to understand this? Um, those are words until they actually feel it. Like when you're coaching them, when you're talking to them, like we need more out of you, like at the next level, it's going to be harder. And, and, you know, how do we get players to understand that those are just words until they actually feel it? How do we get them to feel that sooner so that they buy in sooner? And I really liked how he said that, like, that's a great question for coaches to ask other coaches for program directors to ask their coaches, you know, you know, saying these things, they're just words until they actually feel it. Let's get them to feel it sooner because then they're going to be more successful. So I really liked that, that question that he, he said there and just kind of the, the ways your brain go to find the answers to that. Yeah. And he's a really thoughtful guy. I've had uh, different discussions with him about development in the past. And I think it's good for coaches to branch out and not just talk to hockey people. You know, some of the most skilled coaches that we know, they're watching other sports. They're talking to coaches of other sports because at the end of the day, like um, they're not that different in certain things and you can learn things and getting a bigger perspective. Like we talk about perspective a lot and you can get a wide range of, of perspective uh, of things that you can take into hockey from, from talking to other coaches of other sports or watching them and doing your own studies and stuff. And, and yeah, Oaks a really thoughtful guy. And I thought on the podcast was really cool because we got to talk about a lot of different things tactically we got to talk about a lot of different things developmental wise. We got to talk about a lot of different things culture wise and, and youth hockey and youth uh, soccer and how it kind of uh, mirrors each other in certain ways. It's a little different with what he's doing. I mean, the academy model is becoming more of a thing in, in hockey. It's kind of been the model in soccer, especially over um, in England and, and some of the European countries. And it's a little different because their academy is subsidized by an MLS team. It's not like our academies are subsidized by NHL teams, but um, it, it was a, just a really insightful, really cool conversation that I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from and, and take different things from whether it's the hockey coaches tactically and how you think about the soccer field versus how you think about hockey and how they could be similar development wise, teaching resiliency, um, how to plan a practice and stuff like that. And then the culture stuff too, for the parents and the coaches. I mean, it, this, this was a lot of fun. He's such a good dude and we've been talking him and and I about coming on the podcast for a while now, and I'm, I'm really excited to get him on. And he's really, really accomplished in what he does too. I mean, his Academy, they won the U 16 national championship this year for soccer. And he's been a coach of the year at the collegiate levels uh, and just a really smart, thoughtful, great dude. And, and I think a lot of people are really going to fall in love with him after this conversation. Really yeah, awesome. It, it was awesome. It was awesome. I'm, I'm excited for people to hear this and we're both outside the box thinkers. I'd like to think. Um, and so, you know, it's cool bringing on somebody like this. Yep, for sure. So let's get over to Oaks. Before we get over to Oaks, we have gel sticks, train heroic ice hockey systems, blue wire podcast networks to thank along with all of our amazing, amazing listeners. So our title sponsor, for those of you who have not been with us along the way or have listened to us recently is Gelstix, G-E-L-S-T-X.com is the website. And it is your premier site for all of your weighted training aids, whether it be golf, hockey, or lacrosse. And uh, go to Gelstix.com and use the coupon code ThinkTank, one word, to get a discount on your weighted training sticks. Uh, Vex, you want to talk about Train Heroic here for a sec? Train Heroic, want to thank the boys at Train Heroic for helping me reach and help more hockey players and just humans uh, that want to train smarter and harder. And my mom always tells me to remind our podcast listeners of this, and I never remember. Obviously, you guys who listen all the time know that I train 
D1 teams, NHL team, or uh, USHL teams, NAHL teams, junior teams, midget organizations, all that type of stuff all year long, year round. But I also have uh, teams where I, I call it my train with me team. You listeners can join my own personal workouts for barely a dollar a day. They will be challenging. There's no doubt about it, but I am there to help you every step of the way videos, all this stuff, an awesome interactive team over 145 people right now are joined up. Uh, you want to get in the best shape of your life. You can join this team. So you can go to my Instagram bio link is in the bio or just search uh, ripped hockey train with me, Jeff Lavecchio train with me. It's for all the parents out there who are looking to set a good example for their kids. The coach is looking to set a good example for their kids. You want to get ripped RIPT. That's my company name. Join the train with me team. Or if you're interested in having your teams train with me online, please reach out to me because I love doing this and it's hilariously cheap. Uh, per month for your team. So um, my goal is to help everyone I can with this. There we go. There we go. Also want to thank icehockeysystems.com, the best site out there for all of your coaching education needs. And so they have unbelievable features on this site, a drill drawing tool. Uh, we have partnered with them for a association platform where you can get this for every single coach within your organization. Uh, thousands of drills on the site. You can load it up with hockey think tank drills as well. All of my drills are up there. Um, and it's just such a valuable thing for all of your coaches. We also have given them our hockey think tank parent survival guide. And so it's not just for your coaches, but for your parents as well. And so for all the hockey directors out there, Hopefully we can add a few more hours to your day by not having to field phone calls because parents understand what it's like to raise a youth hockey player in this culture. So uh, thank you to icehockeysystems.com. Also, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all of our listeners out there. We continue to do this. Love bringing on people like this that we can help uh, make you better with what you're doing. And uh, as a thank you, we are going to read a review for somebody that left a review for us. And this one is from Todd Husky fan. So it can go a lot of different ways. Maybe Michigan tech, maybe St. Cloud, maybe just maybe, the dogs, maybe, maybe the Downers Grove Huskies right outside of Chicago, the su Southern suburb. Uh, we don't know, but Todd Husky fan uh, who said the hockey think tank is my favorite podcast. Look forward to new episodes to drop on Monday morning. Each week I have listened to every episode. Keep the great guests coming. So uh, Todd Husky fan, reach out to Jeff Lavecchia with the blue check mark on Instagram. And we do, this, <laughs> we do this every week. He will give you a free hip mobility workout for you. Uh, we appreciate anybody and everybody that leaves ratings and reviews. It just helps to legitimize our podcast. So when people come on there and they see so many people have reviewed us and so many people have left ratings, it's like, oh, a lot of people are listening to this. It must be pretty good. So uh, we really, really appreciate that. And so thank you guys so much. We love you. You guys are going to love this episode. Pat Okuma, such a genuinely awesome human being. And he's done some amazing things in the soccer world. And a lot of that stuff can translate 100% to the hockey world. So uh, without further ado, here we go with the Academy Director of the D.C. United Soccer slash Football Club, Pat Okuma. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's out in the Washington, D.C. area. Pat Okuma. Oaks, what's going on today? How are we doing, Toph? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to have you on. We've been talking about you coming on the podcast, I feel like, for like a year at this point. And so, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm so excited to have you on, uh, Vex. Like, you're not going to find a better human being than this guy. You're just not going to find a better. And we were actually talking about this a couple weeks ago at our uh, charity game, but Oaks might have been there when Emma and I met. Wow. We're not, we're not completely sure. So we met at Dunbar's, which you remember, you, well, you might remember my wedding night, which we went to, <laughs> um, but Oaks was bartending there as he was going to Ithaca college. And uh, that was kind of like our bar. And that's where Em and I met and he might've been tending bar that night. We just don't know. I've, I've been telling people that I was, that I was there, that I was a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, let's get right into it. Oak. So you grew up in Ithaca. It's how we got to know each other. You were going to Ithaca at the time, big hockey guy there too. It's a big hockey town, small town, but big hockey town. And uh, so typically with everybody that we bring on, we ask them how they fell in love with the game. So um, how did you fall in love with the great game of hockey there in Ithaca? Was it Cornell? Was it the big red? It was, uh, it was my brother first and foremost. And, uh, <laughs> So I'm the youngest of uh, youngest of three. My oldest brother is still kind of still kind of uh, annoyed at our parents for not letting him play, and he was he's built more for it than than any of us. Um, but my uh, my mother thought it was too violent and didn't let him play. And then my middle brother wanted to play, and uh, the story goes, one of the parents like convinced her to go watch uh, watch a practice, and so she watched it, and she's like, oh, okay, it's it's not so bad, and so she let. Anthony, my middle brother play. And then I was, I was a shoe in at that point. So my, uh, my brother got me into it. Um, but you know, as you said, growing up in Ithaca, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're what three hours from Buffalo, four hours from New York. Cor- Cornell was our pro team that we would watch. And, and we, I always remember going to those games when I was young, all through high school, I mean, all through college, I was, I was coming to your guys' game and watching you guys. And that just became a part of the the culture there and obviously the you know the pinnacle of, of hockey culture in that town i love it yeah i still like even going back for the charity game probably get maybe like a thousand fans that come and, and you know on like a random saturday in july to come and watch and um sold out games like there's really nothing like i try to i try to tech, talk to vex about it but it's just you got to be there in person you have to and i'm sure it was part of you know when you recruit it you know recruiting your visit that that they brought you to a game and you got to experience that and I'll, I'll tell you from, from growing up and going to those games and watching you guys play. And then even just playing in that charity event, it's a very surreal experience for me because just hearing the horns and the, the bands playing and the, and the fans are there. It's uh, that, that's, that's a special place to play for sure. Cornell, Cornell. Oh, <laughs> that's all we hear on this podcast. I'm not, I'm not an alumbex. I can't, I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't hold the torch that way. But. I respect, I respect the pride in the uni. I respect it. Yeah. Right. Hey, we'll have Western guys on here whenever you want to bring them on, man. Whenever you want to bring them on. All right, let's go. <laughs> um, so, so Oaks, like, I, this is the first time we were talking about this before we got on here, but I don't think we've had a coach from a different sport on this podcast, which is probably our fault because we are such big proponents of 
playing multiple sports, you know, as long as you can. And, and in pretty much every sport, not just hockey, it's become more specialized, you know, younger and younger and younger and younger. Um, so the first question I have for you is, you know, you played both sports growing up, soccer and hockey, and I, I would imagine other sports as well. Um, but like, what, what are some of the benefits that you think a player can have in playing soccer that can translate into hockey, because I know a lot of higher level hockey coaches love to study soccer. It's a similar game in some aspects, give and go type stuff and and things like that. Um, But, but what do you think would be the benefit of playing soccer growing up that can lend to becoming a better hockey player? Uh, Well, first I'm glad to hear you say like the coaches, you know, watch each other. And when, and when I was a, especially when I was a head coach uh, in uh, Ithaca college, I would go watch the basketball basketball practices all the time because it's the sports are so similar from basketball to hockey to soccer. The principles are the same, um, and you can really you can really start to st- steal little tricks and little tricks of the trade. Um, obviously, the games are really similar. You know, you got rectangle services. You got you know even number of teams for the most part. You got goals on either side, and and you can really draw from the the tactics like like we're talking about. I think for me individually, it was you know, I, I became much more, more of a defensive player as I got older and, 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 you know, got, got better. And I think that the, the, the one thing I always drawn is the individual defending of hockey is just, if, if you're not defending in hockey or basketball, like if you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're playing a man down. And if you don't know how to stay with a man and how to, as I s- talked about, talk about it with my players, be aggressive, but also be patient with that, that aggression not get on the wrong shoulder, not dive in, not go for the, go for the puck at the wrong time. If you're watching the puck, if you're watching the stick, you're, you're, you're out to lunch. Right. So um, it's the same thing. Uh, th- those types of lessons, I think helped me excel as a, as a defensive player for sure. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one story that comes to mind because I ran into this guy recently, a guy that I played. So I played professionally in the, in the major indoor soccer league. 5v5 played playing on hockey rinks and I played for one awesome one full season and so all the little tricks of the trade came out when I was trying out for that team there were guys out there you know all soccer guys out there for five seven ten minute shifts and just killing themselves during the trial process and I know better because I know how fast the game is and so I know, I know the angles of the boards all, all those little tricks of the trade but the one thing and I ran into this guy recently because he's a coach um, during the tryout process, and I hadn't made the team yet, um, we're defending, we're in our defensive, in our defensive zone and he, and I have the long change. And so he goes towards the boards and he's trying to get me to run off and sprint back into the middle to, to get a little five before, but while I'm running off to get a change. And I read it the whole way. I, I see him bolt right back to the middle. I stay with him and I don't go for the change. And he looks at me and he gives me this nod, like, all right. All right, kid. Like he <laughs> I, I picked up on that and I'm looking at him and I'm just like, you're not going to get me on that one, man. Like I grew up playing hockey. Like, no, <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my yeah. God. That's hilarious. Well, one of the things that we talk about a lot and I, I would have to imagine. So my soccer knowledge is basically nothing aside from like watching those documentaries on Amazon, on Manchester city and, and uh, Tottenham and stuff, which were unbelievable. I'm sure you've watched those. If, if anybody hasn't watched those, they're unbelievable. Ted Lasso is the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> that's also a very good show. Uh, can't imagine that's real soccer, but it's all very entertaining. Um, but I love to 
like a, again study kind of like some of the intricacies of of the multiple sports and stuff and one of the things that's really important in hockey especially defending is taking away time and space when you're on offense it's creating time and space and soccer soccer is similar i mean you talked about being aggressive but also being patient that's kind of like the same thing as as taking time and space away knowing when to do that and stuff like that so um in soccer how would you kind of go about teaching taking away time and space as a defender or as a defensive unit um and and how would you talk about time and space in terms of how to create time and space from an offensive standpoint, maybe we'll start with the defensive side of it. Uh, it sounds like that's your, your thing. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, in hockey, we talk about gaps. Uh, we talk about being a stick length away and things like that. What are some of the things that you teach from a soccer standpoint that may be able to translate to, to hockey? I mean, it's the, the same things you're talking about. They're usually in, in most defensive structures, you're, you're defending in, in lines. So you may, you might have, like a block of eight. So a block of four and defensive line and a block of four is a midfield line. And you're managing those, those gaps. The, the attacking principles are to break those lines and to play in those gaps between those, in those, in those spaces. Um, the, yeah, I wish, I wish there was like a, a stick length the way like the, that's, that's a really nice cue for the kids. We don't have that. So we're always just talking about, you know, being two, three feet away and, and they just have to kind of eyeball it and they're basing it on their, their uh, physical capabilities as well. Um, but all of those principles are, are, are the same in soccer. It's just, obviously it's, it's bigger. It's much, much, a much bigger space to manage. So, um, you know, as the team, as the attacking team advances down the field, you're, you're, uh, you're defending that path between the ball and the goal for the most part. And what we talk about a lot is, which is similar to hockey, is where's your, where's your line of confrontation? Where are you gonna where are you gonna confront the ball? And you'll see certain teams playing at a with a high press, which would be a really aggressive forecheck, or playing in a low block, which would be which would be, I guess, some sort of a neutral zone trap, I guess, but just sit, sitting back and absorbing the pressure. Sit back, wait for them to make a mistake, you know, and then counterattack type stuff. Exactly. And all those principles I, I know are the same in, in these sports for sure. <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. In hockey, it's almost like, you know, some teams, the red line is gold. Like, do not let the other team pass the red line. Um, you know, I know that there's some coaches in it, like high level coaches, mostly college, because you don't practice it that much in pro. But like, you know, in, in drills, if you're doing a five on five drill or something like that, and you let the let the team get past the red line without a confrontation or they, they have to dump the puck. It's like, all right, we're going to blow the whistle dead. Now you got to skate. Like the red line is everything. Some teams it's the blue line, you know, don't let them in the blue line. Don't let them inside the zone. So it's similar in soccer. eh? like there's certain points of attack where you want to be, you know, we're not letting you past here without some kind of a confrontation. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. And then offensively, like what are some things I know you talked about like playing between the lines, but what are some ways that, that you guys talk about creating time and space either maybe, maybe both with the ball and without the ball. Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking about it like today there's a, uh, and I was thinking about a play where, uh, where Kopitar flips it way over and, and Dustin Brown, he, you know, he, he goes and scores a goal on the breakaway. It's, it's of course, you would say Dustin. Of course. Of course, course. <laughs> Wait, actually, before we get into this, dude, did you see that he's getting his number retired and a statue out in the front of yeah, freaking Staples Center? We're already looking at tickets. I think we're going out there. 
Oh my God. So he Oaks grew up playing with Dustin. And so like Dustin comes back and plays in our charity game and stuff too. And obviously he's a two time captain Stanley cup winner for LA, but he wasn't like the star of the team by any means. He was always like one of the top players, but he wasn't like a Kopitar or a Doughty or a Gretzky or anything like that. And so it's just, I think it's really cool for the Kings to do that. Like a, a statue for just their leader. Like the guy that was their leader that, that brought him to the cup. I mean, we, we so much emphasize maybe the talent and the skills a, a lot, but the fact that he was the captain and the leader that brought him to the promised land and, and they're doing all that for him is it's so cool. And as a friend of his, how cool is that for you? It's a, it's amazing. It's, it's so surreal. Like because of the things you just said, like he's, he's not Kopi, he's not Dowdy. Like I, you know, I, but he was absolutely the leader of that team. And to see they put that when he retired, they had billboards in Los Angeles of Dustin Brown holding the cup. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. He was an animal. Absolutely. Didn't he lead the league in hits like multiple years in a row? Oh, yeah. too? Almost yeah. like in 10 years, almost. Even. Animal. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, absolutely crazy. But anyways, I wanted to sidebar that because wow. this just happened, I think last week. Right. So um, unreal. I texted him. I was like, dude, stats like awesome. And yeah, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's pumped and his family has got to be pumped. And, and Dustin, like they had kids pretty early. The thing that I think is really cool is that him and his wife had kids pretty early. So like his, his kids will remember this, like his kids will have seen him play in the NHL and do all these amazing things and get these statues and stuff. I just, man, like having young kids now, how cool would that be as dad to be able to have that? Uh, It's unbelievable. He, we, we, we texted a little bit and I, I can tell he was just excited to I think spend more time with his family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think so. 18 years of, of NHL life like that as, as cool as it was and the millions of dollars that he made. Um, yeah. Being able to not have to do that when you're ready, <laughs> it's going to be present at home. It's gotta be a little different, a little nice, maybe. <laughs> well, the thing, the conversation I'm and we can come back to this later, later for talking about development or, or get into it now, if you want to do it. But um he and I, like, I'd always go see him play when I was, you know, I was living in New York and he'd come see play the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, I'd go watch or just the Bruins when I was in Boston and, and the Caps this last year. But, and we'd always catch up a little bit, talk about the games, whatnot. But the the conversation that we always kind of tiptoe on that now that he'll have some time, a little more time in his life. Uh, I was always really curious, like, all right, he and I played high school hockey together. We won a state championship together. He's, he's off and he goes to the O and he plays for, for a golf. And I want, I'm very curious about those years. Like what happened between me seeing you as a high school player and now I'm watching you getting drafted 13th overall. I'm very curious about his development and what he took from that experience. Have you gotten anything from him yet? He and I was kind of touching it, but you know, it's always, it's always touch and go. It's always, (laughs) it's always either at the charity game or it's always uh, um, after, you know, after a a game. So it's, we haven't had a ton of time to catch up. Um, But that, that's, that's a conversation I definitely want to have with him. I love well, that. I I love to hear because Tofa and I are big proponents of playing multiple sports, especially when kids are younger. And you know, this is my first time meeting you, but you played hockey growing up. You also played soccer at a high level. How did playing soccer help hockey? How did playing hockey obviously eventually help you making it to the higher levels of soccer? And then now you're working with kids at an academy and all these high level players. Like, how did playing other sports help with that? It's it's a really good question. And, and one I draw on quite a bit. And I think there's individual things like the individual defending for sure, the transition, the, like the footwork, all of that stuff for sure. I think translated to, to both sports, 
and then even even zooming out a little bit just the the experience of facing different challenges and solving different problems in different areas with different people was just so so valuable and to you know come into a team environment in hockey and and I was not one of the studs on my high school hockey team Um, so to play a different role was I think really important for me as a young athlete and then and as a coach as well to now be able to draw on those experiences where you know soccer I might have been a a little bit more of a stud but in in hockey I wasn't and so I'm playing a different role I'm blocking shots I'm in the corners I'm 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 playing defense once in a while on the blue line so I, I had to do things that I that were out of my comfort zone and I think that's a really important lesson for for young players especially the ones that are trying to trying to make it and and it might not be exactly the way you thought it was going to be, but everyone's not going to be Connor McDavid. Other people have to, there's other jobs to do out there. So, so like by you having to block shots in hockey, you think that that maybe made you like tougher in soccer and like playing like a a quote unquote lesser role on a hockey team probably made you don't want to put words in your mouth, but like be able to dig down deeper and not be like a, you know, prima donna skill guy, you know, soccer, you were able to be like, well, I, you know, I could do it there and it made me a little bit successful. I can bring that into my soccer game type of thing. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The experience of me being a, a, a role player on, on, on my hockey teams, I think absolutely contributed to, um, to the willingness to combine, you know, that that work ethic with some skill with more skill than i had on the, on the ice for sure yeah that's awesome it's Love i that. think that's such a such a valuable point for all the kids that are listening and and all the coaches that are listening too because i mean the the example from a coaching standpoint that people talk about is like wayne gretzky right like wayne gretzky wasn't a great coach a lot of people would say because he couldn't really relate to the role players and how they saw the game and stuff because he he never had to think like that <laughs> in in a certain way and but i want to go back to the player standpoint and for all the players that are out there especially the younger players like at some point in your hockey career if you're the best player on your youth team you're not going to be the best player on your team you know, and that might be midgets, that might be juniors, that might be college, that might be pro, whatever it may be. So if you're not learning the skills and the mindset of playing those, you know, five, six D roles or those bottom two line roles, whatever it may be, you're putting yourself at a major disadvantage for making teams when you get older. Because if you're a one trick pony, like eventually people catch up and there's a lot of really talented players out there <laughs> that are better at you, better than you at what you're really, really good at. So if you're not learning those things, then that stuff. And I think for all the young coaches out there, that's why we have to, you know, instill some of these like competitive defensive mindsets into some of our star players when we're younger, because at some point they're probably not going to be the star players and they're going to have to know how to play a different brand of game. You know what I mean? And and that's why you play multiple sports, Oaks, just like what you're saying too, because it's a humbling experience to maybe have this talent talent in, in, in hockey, but maybe not in soccer. Maybe you have it in soccer, maybe not in hockey or football, whatever it may be like you have to, and it just allows you to learn that it's the skills, but it's also just like the mindset of, of having to play up and down a lineup. And, and the more like diverse your skill set and mindset can be, the more let's call it marketable. You're going to be once you get older and people are catching up from a talent standpoint than you. It's such a valuable thing for young kids to hear. And, and some guys don't learn it. 
You know, like that's why a lot of guys fail when they get to pro hockey or they get to college hockey because they've never been asked to back check or they've never been asked to block shots or they've never been asked to play on a penalty kill. But at the end of the day, like you have to know those things if you want, because maybe you just from a talent standpoint, you're not going to play those roles when you get up there and you're either going to sit in the stands, <laughs> you're going to get cut or you're going to learn how to play a different role. And it's just what you're saying is just, God, it's so valuable for young kids. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's this, I, it, I see it in soccer and, and I'm sure I, I know it's there in hockey too, where you got, you have skill guys who think that that skill is going to, is going to take them all the way. And I think the tricky part is once in a while, a skill, a skill guy will make it. He probably won't last, but he'll, he'll probably make it. He's just been blessed with that much talent. And there are certainly people, but that's such a minority, right? <laughs> well, as, I, as I tell kids and parents, like, please don't compare yourself to, to the outliers. I have parents who have talked to me about how Tiger Woods trained and the Williams sisters trained and, and how Federer did this. And I'm, I'm like, okay, those, those are, those are once in a generation players. And, you're not uh, them. <laughs> not that you're not, but like, you're, probably, but you're not them. You're <laughs> but uh, I, I just think comparing yourself to the outlier of all outliers is, is, is really risky to be honest. It's just, you're, you're trying to put all your eggs in one basket that I'm talented enough to make it without all these other tools. And, and we talked about Dustin, like Dustin was a skill guy when we were in high school, he had great hands, he was scoring goals. And it goes back to those conversations I want to have with him is, all right, well, you get to the show and now you have to change your game and he had to adapt his game and become more of a, a power forward. And then his game excelled playing, playing the game a little differently than he did in high school. Not to say he wasn't, he didn't have some big hits and, <laughs> and whatnot, but, uh, um, his, you know, he was a different type of player once he, you know, as, as he got older. Absolutely. So I, I first I want to get back to, this is such an awesome conversation, but I want to make sure that I get back to the offensive side of soccer, because I know for a fact that there's going to be coaches that if I didn't go back to it, that are listening, that'd be like, well, what, well, God. but I want to get back to this stuff, but I want to get back to, um, the offensive side of the ball and just the, you know, the different things that you do to create time and space offensively, how you teach it, how you coach it, maybe some terms that you use because offense is, so, it's, I feel like it's a lot easier to teach defense than it is to teach offense, to teach creativity, to teach how to create and manipulate time and space. And so in soccer where that's so unbelievably important, especially, you know, your guys' scores are so much lower than pretty much every other sport out there. Um, how do you go about teaching offense um, what are some terms that you use maybe from an individual standpoint and then even from like a team tactical standpoint too? From uh, let me answer the second part first from a, from a team tactical standpoint, the, and I'm gonna start with the difference. The biggest difference is, you know, other than, you know, someone flipping the puck over and, and skating it on, which happens once in a while, but not too often, we're constantly dealing with, with the depth with a ball going over our head because there's so much space and a runner going on behind it. And the offsides rule is a little bit different. So that, that offsides, it's not a blue line that could be anywhere. Cause it's this, the last defender yeah. um, uh, dictates where the offsides line is. So we're constantly teaching from an, and from an attacking standpoint about running behind and trying to make eye contact with that ball carrier and running behind. And we're either going to time it right. And you're going to get in or, the defender is going to have to drop and now you've created pockets of space in which we can play underneath 
Um, but there's a, there's that I think is the biggest difference between a sport like hockey or a sport like basketball, where it's just constant. There's so much space that we're trying to get behind, you know, pretty consistently. Well, it's interesting that you say that because hockey is moving towards that uh, a lot more, especially at the professional levels, because the way that teams defend they're so up on your gaps. Like they want to take away passing lanes. So those passing lanes that used to be there, now that defender or that offensive guy is right tight and above to that person. So how do you create that space? It's, hey, maybe we send one guy and uh, like NHL teams call it punt and hunt. So it's a flip outside the zone. And, and Vex, we've talked about this on other podcasts where we used to think that a flip outside the zone was an unskilled play. But now with the gaps, the way that they are and such little time and space to make passes, you're seeing one winger like fly in the zone all the time. I shouldn't say all the time, but a lot of the time to create that, like you were talking about, to create that time and space underneath and then create that speed gap where now like somebody has to go with that guy (laughs) and now they're stopped. And now there's another wave that's coming up offensively. So it's similar in in a way. And I wonder if, you know, that changed. I don't know when that changed, maybe 10 years ago, I want to say uh, maybe five to 10 years ago where that became a little bit more mainstream. And I wonder if, you know, and hockey's a copycat game, but the people who really kind of started that revolution of doing that, um, if they got it from soccer, just like the way you're talking about. It's interesting because what you're saying is exactly, you know, there are teams that the, the press is, is what you're talking about. Like, like yep. how, how does a team put pressure on you immediately when the, when the ball still, when you're still advancing the ball up the field. And so you can try to play through, but like you said, a lot of times you're playing these teams and they're so good at it and they're so fast and physical that those, those gaps are not there. And now you're looking over the top and, Oh, there's a two V two up there. There's a three V three up there. Like, you know, hit it and we go. And kind of like you said, this was seen, you know, I think a few years ago is, Oh, that's not, that's not how we play. That's not the skilled way to play, but it's, it's not illegal to play that way. And and sometimes it's just a smart play to relieve pressure when a team is that good at, at punching the ball. But um, all, all these things are so similar, just kind of different vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. Now, how about in like maybe like tighter situations when you talk about creating time and space? Like in hockey, we talk about manipulating a defender's feet. Uh, maybe you talk about bringing a defender to you to maybe open up space for your teammate. Um, what are some ways in soccer that you can really, in maybe the smaller areas, create some time and space, whether it's for yourself as the ball carrier or creating space for that next guy that's going to get the ball? Um, that you're going to be passing it to? I think certainly we, we encourage and try to, like a lot of teams, try to isolate normally wider players in 1v1 situations and and let them go to work. And what that means is during training, we have to have, um, they have to have the ball at their feet. They have to have opportunities during the week to uh, to work on their 1v1 skills. And if you if you get the right guys who are in in that much time and space because it's a little different in 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 soccer sometimes that second defender sliding over is is 15 20 yards away which is which is different from hockey when when if someone has a slide it's it just happens it, there's just more time to to kind of manipulate that 1v1 situation uh as far as team and and you know small you know 2v2s 3v3s it's it's combination play it's it's give and goes it's it's a run behind it's third man combinations um runs behind even if the player doesn't get the ball it, it'll it'll manipulate the space well what's so for us non-soccer guys what's All a right. run behind <laughs> i could see it kind of like in my head but i want to make sure because i think this is actually very applicable to, to hockey as well 
so if you have a if you have a you know say you're wide, say there's a wide player with the ball in in you know one v one or two v two situation if if that second attacking player runs in behind the back line so say you have a back line of four and he makes a run in behind the the other team either has to respect that or or they don't and if they don't and you you slide it to him well he's in and he's either taking a shot or or, or crossing it if he um, if they do respect it and that defender follows him which he probably will. Now there's a pocket of space there. And now there's a space where maybe there's a third man combination, or now that player with the ball can now cut inside and attack and attack that space. So um, a lot of times, a lot of, um, a lot of attacking principles are about trying to manipulate their back line to get, especially those center backs out of the middle of the field or, or stepping a little bit, dropping a little bit too far or stepping a little bit too early. Um, Cause if you can get those center backs out of position, that's the most dangerous area on the field. So it's basically like a center lane drive, you know, where you, you get the ball to the middle, you kick it outside. Then that, that, that guy runs behind to create either, you know, especially if it's a three on two, that defenseman has to either go with you. Make <laughs> or the defenseman <clears throat> make a decision. Yeah. Make the defenseman make a decision. Yeah. And if he goes with you, it opens up that space and for the, I, for I the watch, trailer. And I, watch, and I watch you guys. It's, it's a perfect analogy because I watched the clip of you guys talking about this. Cause you showed a high level NHL clip of, um, a couple of different players entering the zone and getting it central to enter the zone. And then, then that's where everything starts because someone eventually is going to step or he's going to just go straight to goal. So when someone steps, bang, now, now a player's open. Is that something that you guys talk about a lot in soccer? Because in hockey right now, everybody's talking about get the puck to the middle of the ice on the entry. Get the puck to the middle of the ice. It brings the defenseman in. And then that defenseman either respect the people in the middle of the ice, which creates that time and space for that guy outside, which is exactly what you're talking about in soccer. Or they don't respect you. And now it's like, oh, easy entry through the middle. Perfect. Here we go. You know, um, is, that, is that pretty similar? Just entering through the middle, like, are you guys always trying to get the ball to the middle at some point when you're kind of on your attack or how does that work? That's where I think there's a lot there. There can be, you know, some different ways to attack. And there's certainly every, every team is going to respect the middle of the field and defend the middle of the field for sure. So it, you'll see a lot of teams, you know, in, in soccer actually atta- attack in the, in the wide areas. Um, not to say that everyone's not, no one wouldn't want to attack down the middle. That's the most dangerous area on the field. But you'll see a lot of teams actually training their wide their wide combinations and their wingers because that's where the space is on the field because it, it often is very congested in the middle of the field. But you'll see, you'll certainly see teams that would like would prefer to attack right down the middle of the field. It's just not always available. Interesting. So, like in hockey, you know, you have certain coaches who are kind of looked at as letting their guys play kind of creative with their tactics and stuff like that. And then you have other coaches in hockey that are kind of like by the book, you know, they kind of doing similar things that everybody else is doing. I'm wondering for you, like, how would you describe a coach and maybe what are some things that they do for the coaches in soccer that are like, you would think is like a creative, maybe innovative, maybe trying new things type of coach. Like what are, what does that look like in, in a soccer sense? It's funny you say that because in soccer, it's the, it's the exact same way. You have coaches of this is how we're going to attack. And you have coaches that are, you have coaches that say, Hey, my job is to get you here um, to the final third of the field and get my, get my uh, creative players on the ball and moving off the ball and in one v one situations and go at it. Um, and most coaches fall somewhere in the middle, but, um, but you definitely see those conversations. Um, sorry. What was your, 
would you ask? I, I just like, what are maybe some things that like creative coaches do? Or like, how would you describe a creative coach, maybe an innovative coach in soccer and how they're kind of going against the grain or maybe they're thinking of new things? Um, you know, in, in hockey, Vex, I, I would probably venture a guess to say that like creative coaches are, are looked at in in like maybe more give and go type stuff. Um, it, not your typical dump, dump the puck in, like, how can we be creative on entries? Um, how can we creative and take being, uh, taking away time and space and then getting in, in transition quickly. That's kind of like the newer way of thinking in, in a hockey sense. And it all, it's a pendulum, right? Like it goes back and forth and you need a little bit of the old school and you need a little bit of the new school, but I'm just really setting up a power play behind the net. Like that's like yeah, something different in the last few years. Yeah. Just people years doing some things differently, but like how would you define or describe like uh, maybe like an innovative or a coach in soccer? That's kind of like, not that old school. <laughs> We've been doing things the way they've always been done type stuff. And maybe that's a loaded question. I don't know, but I'm just really that's interested in that. Interesting question. I don't know that I have a great answer. Um, there are, I've just seen so many different coaches do it so many different ways. And I'm, I'm sure it's not too dissimilar to, to hockey, but I, I find in soccer that there are, I mean, and there's, there's books written on it and articles and podcasts every week about the, you know, the, about what the, the top coaches in Europe are, are doing now, what the trends are and, you know, few years later, everyone's doing that. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it's like you said, it's a pendulum. It, you know, one thing will be, you know, the hot topic amongst coaches one year and it's something else the next year. And, uh, I don't know that I have a solid, solid answer for you as to what that looks like from a creative standpoint. Um, what I can say is, is a trend is, is, is just get, getting your skill guys as isolated as, as you can and getting that, getting them, getting them time and space. That's ultimately what you want because like in hockey like in basketball if, if, if you have your skill guy on the ball on, on the puck and he has some time and space good things are going to happen and if you can replicate that over and over again then you're you're creating scoring chances so what are some ways in soccer that you can do that like what are some ways that you can really yeah. put your put your really skilled guys who can do some damage in situations where they can really make an impact on the game well, you'll see kind of what we talked about, like fixing, fixing the game central to what you talked about when you're entering, you know, when you're entering the zone, if you can enter central, then there's often the defense is going to collapse and protect the middle of the ice. So there's going to be a little more space out wide. The same principle applies in soccer, where if you can fix the ball in the middle of the field mm -hmm. and the further down the field, the, the better you are going to create the, the defensive line is going to, is going to be compact and you're going to create gaps, gaps on, in the wide areas of the field. And you'll see, you know, and especially in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in the game, like you'll, you'll see the skilled guys are the wide players, are the guys out there because there's time and space out there. And if you can fix the ball centrally and get it out wide, he's probably going to be in a 1v1 situation. And that's what you want. So it, it kind of goes along with what we were talking about before from a, from a tactical standpoint. I like that. It's, I mean, that's pretty similar in hockey. I mean, hockey kind of goes back and forth with its skill guys. Do you want them in the middle <laughs> or do you want them on the outside? And it, it I feel like it kind of goes back and forth where over the past, probably five, 
10 years, it's been like, let's get our most important, smartest players in the middle. Let's have them police and patrol the middle of the ice. The middle of the ice is where the guts are, where a lot of the most important plays happen and stuff. But now you're, but you're also seeing like the Patrick Kane's of the world and the Mitch Marner's of the world, guys who are just really creative. And now that we're getting that puck to the middle of the ice and we're opening up space on the outside now, okay, now we're getting these guys, the puck a little bit more with maybe some time and space and they can do their thing on an entry. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's really interesting how parallel that that is to, to soccer because yeah, they are pretty similar sports. And, and I think, I think a lot of hockey coaches can learn a lot from watching the game. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, I mean, you said it and it's why I still watch hockey. It's why I, I basketball wasn't, wasn't a sport growing up that I played a lot of, but I'll, I'll watch them practice all the time as much as I can talk to basketball coaches. Cause similar similar types of uh, principles there as well totally and one of the guys that we respect a lot on the podcast adam nicholas uh he's the player development uh head of player development for the canadians now he's a big basketball guy like watches a lot of basketball and and there are there's so many give and goes even picks picks is a thing in hockey now that's that's uh that's getting a lot more i'm not sure if that's similar in soccer just with how (laughs) how much more space there is um but yeah there's a lot of different tactics in filling lanes and getting behind and it just yeah if you're not studying other sports like i think you're kind of behind speaking of picks I'd be remiss to not ask about soccer players diving. How do you, you play <laughs> hockey. So, you know, you know that obviously that's not a thing in hockey and uh, we're not a big fan of guys who dive or girls. So let's, let's, let's air this out. How do you feel that you, you played both sports? So you, you gotta have that hockey mindset. I thought this was supposed to be a, a friendly podcast. <laughs> Dude, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big soccer guy, but I watched that and it's the fake ones that it's like, what? Like he didn't even touch you. And they show it on the replay. Like, I don't know. In hockey, your whole team would rip you apart. Your coaches would rip you apart. Like, you know, so yeah. what's different about soccer and why? I think, and if I put my, uh, my hockey hat on, I think, unfortunately, uh in soccer it's you know it you can gain an advantage if you can if if you can draw a foul or or fake a foul you 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 can actually gain a pretty significant advantage and unfortunately the the culture kind of kind of supports that a little bit um i will say for the record there's there's a lot of you know i'll 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 be out and the game will be on and i'll hear people you know talking about a foul a lot of those a lot of those hurt. I'll just let you know. <laughs> a lot of those, a lot of those actually, but I'm talking about the ones where like they zoom in and the guy didn't even touch him and he grabs his nose or his knee. And hey, it's like, have dude, you, literally air. Like, have air. you ever seen the, uh, the Robin Williams stand up where he talks about the soccer with that? No, but I oh, bet it's you have to go watch it. I, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like the best stand up ever, in my opinion. I'm a big, I love stand up comedy. And he's like, he talks about soccer and he's like, oh, I've been bloodied. Oh, I've been murdered. Oh, man. Oh, there's no one around me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like- I will say, I will say this though, Vax, in, in defense of Oaks and, and not in defense of our sport, it was literally a point of contention in every ECAC meeting that we would do was the diving because there were like some of the old school coaches that were kind of like, you don't dive, you don't don't dive in hockey. It's a bad look. And then there were some of the other coaches that were like, okay, well it's gotten us a power play game. So you can say that all you want. 
but it's like something with like integrity and and i 100 you know. agree i'm yeah. just saying like i don't think the other people are wrong like if you're getting i do actually i shouldn't say that i do but yeah they they have a valid point if you're paid to win as a coach and you're getting an extra power play every game like how do you not just beat that guy up like go up well, to him like you, you do it again college hockey hey no, no, dude i'm, I'm with you I'm, I'm, I'm with soccer. You. Like I would just like, I would get on social media if I was playing against a guy who did that to me and I would just rip him apart. I would be like, like, you know, like I just don't, it's a different culture. But you're so a that's, big, that's, tough, tattooed like, <laughs> dude. So that's just kind of, no, it's thing. just like, I, I guess more of my question was like, how do coaches feel about it? Like they, if they, it helps them win, they don't care. Is it that kind of thing? Um, to be honest, I don't see it a lot in the in the youth game. I think I see it more on TV, right? Um, than than in the youth game. So it's almost like the YouTube clips. Like you see it, you yeah. know. <laughs> I think it's the just, outliers. Yeah. So I don't I don't experience it as as gotcha as much as, uh, as, much as you might think. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> Hot topic. I gotcha. All right, Oaks, let's get back to let's get back to some development stuff. So Vex, Oaks and I have had a couple of like unbelievable conversations about development and just kind of like the trajectory of of kids and stuff. And and so I would love for you to kind of expand on, you know, you're you're the director of an academy for obviously you guys won the national championship this year, DC United, extremely, extremely successful MLS team. I know you've you've had a lot of different um experiences as a coach and soccer coaching at the college level now at the youth level um what are some like things that you've seen whether it's uh an athletic thing or a soccer sense thing or a mindset thing of kids that you've seen that have made it you know like kids that you've seen maybe from the academy level that have gone on to do special things in college or professional or whatever it may be. We, we talk a lot about what we see as, as hockey coaches and kids that go from 16 to play in pro and some of the similar traits that they have, but in, in a soccer sense, what are some of those kind of like traits that are common between the people that you've seen that have made it? I think there's, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's different skills and there's different positions and there's certain things that we could all, you know, talk about from each individual player. I I would say the one thing that always remains constant with the players that 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 make it are the ones that can accept challenges. Then that's that is the one trait that is through and through. If there there are guys and I've coached some very talented players and and a lot of times maybe even more talented than the naturally talented than the the ones who actually made it, but they couldn't accept when they were when they were pushed. They couldn't accept. Um, you know, playing in a different position, not starting a match, um, playing for, you know, not playing on the, the team they wanted or not playing, uh, you know, the way they wanted to do. It. And they just, they couldn't handle that challenge. And as we try to explain, but it's, you know, sometimes it's just words. It, it will not get easier when you go up the ladder. Those, those are just, those are words until they, until they actually feel it. So, you know, from, from our, from the structure of a professional academy where, where I work now, the 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 good part of it is structurally that I we have the next challenge. If if you, if you're not if if you're the best player with, with with the 14s, I can throw you the 15s. I can throw you the 17s. I can throw you with Loudon United, and I can throw you to DC United, and you'll feel it. You'll feel how fast that game is. 
Um, but I'm also not going to throw a player at the next level who's not mentally ready for that challenge. So it's something that it's a, it's a constant conversation with the players and I'll say maybe even more so the parents. <laughs> I, re- I really like that quote. I just wrote it down. Those are words until they actually feel it. And I feel like that's something that all coaches hope are trying to get across, especially to like the better players, but I guess to any player, how do we in any sport get, get those players to understand whether that's the kid who, you know, is going from the lower level to the middle level or the kid who really has an opportunity to play college sports and you want to instill in them like, hey, like, you, you, you know, you've got to show up on time. You've got to work hard. You've got to do extra. You've got to care. Like, like the, those are words until they actually feel it. How do we get them to feel it sooner or that um, that sense of urgency? Like, you, because I say to my guys all the time, you get one shot at this. I tell them all the time, I'm 37. I give this speech literally weekly in my gym to NHL guys down to kids. I'm 37. I remember my first practice of juniors. I remember my first fight. I remember my first goal. I remember my first game. I remember my first day on campus in college. I remember my first pro game, my first pro shift, my first pro practice. I remember my last game. Like, okay, it, dude, we get it. You've done yeah, Oh, easy, good. Cornell, Cornell. <laughs> like, you know, you know, like it seems like it was like yesterday. And like it's over in a blink of an eye. So how do we impress upon those kids? Like feel it sooner. One of the conversations we're having right now is a, as a staff is, is, is what our standards are, what our standard. And, and oftentimes even the stuff away from the game. Um, but when you walk in the door, how do you walk in? How are you dressed? How are you approaching everybody? How are you, you know, what are your professional habits? And we talk about that from, um, what that's going to look like, especially now coming into um, now my, my second year as, as academy director. And we're having those conversations right now as we, as we gear up for preseason, because it's going to be really important for us to set the tone of this is what it's, this is what it looks like and feel like to be in a professional environment. I think, I think we, us as coaches, we have to control our environment first and foremost, as much as we can. And then we have to deal with the, the reality of we're only with these guys two hours a day. And they're somewhere else and they're with their friends or with their families, their school, the other 22 hours of the day. And hopefully we can have, uh, we need to do everything we can to have as much impact in those two hours. And hopefully that will uh, resonate with them in the other 22 hours of the day. Um, because you, you guys both know more than I, when, you know, when you're in a professional environment, it's, you're being watched everything you do, every, every little thing you do. And so, we're, we're trying to instill that right from the start with our youngest players um, as we prepare them for stepping into a professional locker room at some point in their career. That's awesome, man. That's so good. I mean, you're <laughs> facts. We talk about that all the time, especially like this embrace the suck mentality to embrace the grind mentality. And, and how do you create that as a coach? I think is like a really important thing because it is really hard. Like if you want to play high level, anything, or you want to achieve something that's difficult, like it's going to be difficult. (laughs) And, and so I I think it's a really uh, kind of like an art as a coach to be able to create environments where kids are going to be challenged. 
And, and you even look at like the academic side of things, what a lot of the academics are talking about when it comes to development, not just in like sports, but in academics and other things as well as like how much challenge is the right kind of challenge, you know, a failure rate when it comes to a drill or it comes to a certain skill that you're trying to teach, you know, like maybe there's a day where we want them to feel a little bit better. So we make the drill a little bit less difficult. Maybe it's a day where you really want to push them and challenge them and have a higher failure rate. So you make the drill a little bit more, more difficult. Right. And, and so for you, Oaks, like how important is it as a coach and, and what are some things that you preach, like with your, your players that you have just about making it challenging and that we're doing this for a reason, like that the why is so important when it comes to that too. You can't just like put kids in drills and like have them fail and be like, all right, figure it out. Like the why to that is really important. So like, how do you create practice plans? How do you create an environment where the kids are going to be challenged? They understand that like being challenged is really, really good and failing is really, really good for their development because that's something that I think we maybe don't talk about enough, but something like, even as you're talking about, it's the number one thing, like the, the, the central trade of like the kids that have made it is like, they know how to be challenged and they can get through it, you know? So how do you, as a coach, as an academy director, put kids in situations that will be conducive to that? I think you, and you touched on it. First of all, everything has to be in, in context of the game so that they understand, like you said, why they're doing what they're doing, why we're working on what we're working on. Every, everything has to be in, in some sort of context um, so that we're not just, you know, doing some, you know, some randomness out, out there. Cause then it'll, it'll hopefully connect uh, from a cognitive level um, from a, you know, from a, I don't even call it failure from a, from a, um, I heard someone say, use the word fall, not fail, because failure is is kind of forever, but we're all going to fall. And when you think of someone falling, well, someone's going to get back up. And so we have to create that environment where it's okay to fall. And that starts with us as the leaders and, and, the, co- and the coaches out there to make sure that the environment is, is challenging where they're going to fall sometimes. And we have to encourage that and push them in order to get them to fall a little bit so that they can pick themselves up and, and keep going. And it's really, really important from a, from a development standpoint, let forget winning the game on, on Saturday. This is what we do is all is trying to develop the special players so that they're putting themselves in a position to earn professional contracts. And so we have to create an environment that is, that kind of toughens them a little bit for, for what's ahead. There's a graph that, uh, I don't know who, who to credit this with, but with, but uh, there is. Um, uh, you basically want to be in the quadrant if it's a y-axis and, a, and an x-axis. You want to be in the in the upper right quadrant. If I'm backwards on the on the video, I don't know, but high challenge and high support is we say like that's where we want to live ninety something percent of the time. There are days when okay, it's going to be low challenge and high support, right? We're going to coddle them a little bit. We're going to show them a lot of love because they took a lick yesterday. There are days when we're going to challenge them really hard and they're not going to hear much from us for sure. But those two, I think are, you know, 5% here and there. And there's never a day where it's low challenge and low support because that that's just, that's counterproductive to what we're doing. And so 90% of the time, high challenge, high support all the time. Wow. Oaks, like you're going to, 
win a medal or win an award because I've never seen Jeff Lavecchio write so many notes down in the 200 plus podcast episodes that we've done. I have this new tablet thing that is legit <laughs> and it's so easy for my brain to like write everything down. And I really like lo- You're killing it. Love it. I challenge high support. What's up? This thing's called a remarkable too. I don't got to deal with them. Sorry listeners, but I love this thing. I challenge high support, writing it down. um well uh so let's let's like let's dive that into something else because you mentioned parents earlier and and a lot of times high challenge with parents maybe isn't doesn't go over so well um but so like how do you go about you're running an academy um high stakes like it's an mls professional thing and it's it's a really important job that you have and i have to imagine that a lot of the parents that are sending their kids to to the academy are in some ways see it as an investment to make sure that their kids are going to be you know uh even though it's subsidized like we're sending them here so they can be professional athletes at some point type stuff um how do you go about that side of it because that i'm sure it's in every sport but certainly in hockey like if you ask any youth hockey coach like the reason why they don't like coaching youth hockey is having to deal with the parents a lot of the time. Um, so how do you guys at, at your academy go about educating the parents? How do you guys go about talking about the the path to development with the parents that maybe some of the parents that are listening or the coaches that are listening can help them on their journeys in, in youth hockey? We are, we're preparing after our preseason is, uh, is on August 15th. And that's when we, that's when we start. And right now as a staff, we're, we're working on a lot of different plans. And one of the biggest conversations is onboarding a new set of players and a new set of parents in, into our environment. And it's important that we include them in the process to a, to a certain degree so that they understand what it is we're doing here. Cause again, we're only with them a couple hours a day and they're on the, they're the, they're the ones on the drive on the way in and the, and the way out. So we, we have to be cognizant of that. So we want to make sure that we uh, explain our process. Um, the, there's no way around the fact that at least for us in our environment, that every kid that we bring in was the best kid at their former club. There's, that is a reality of the situation. That's the good. That's the good and the bad. The good is we're getting some really, really talented players coming in, especially this year. Our our scouting department has done a fantastic job. The challenge of that will be, you can only still play 11 guys in the field and not everyone is going to be playing as, as an attacking midfielder. Um, guys are going to have to play different roles and play different positions and adapt their game to, to what, a, to a higher level. And so I think the, I think the short answer is to try to get ahead of that conversation as best as, as we can, and to lay the foundation for, as I told a parent today, when your kid is challenged. And I specifically didn't use the word if I said when, and I make that really, really clear that if, if your kid doesn't face a moment this year or multiple moments where he is a little frustrated or he's trying to figure something out or he's struggled or he's down or he's trying to break into the lineup or he's working on a new position or he's working on this skill, then we haven't done our jobs and we're not doing our jobs. This is, they are not here to, uh, to be the best player on the field and to, ha- and to, and to coast because they are on a professional pathway. And I, I lean into that as, as much as I, as I can, because that's the position that, that I'm in working at a professional academy, along with the fact that you said that the parents are not splitting the bill we're splitting the bill. So we will, we'll, we'll set the standard, which is a little different than, than other environments. Um, but at the end of the day, our connection to two professional teams at the top of our pyramid, that's, that is our objective is to get more and more kids through that pathway. 
Well, let me ask you this, because I think this is something very relevant to, you know, like coaching midget hockey and, and shepherding these kids going up through. And I tell parents and kids this all the time, like how much, do, <laughs> how much does what you say matter versus what these scouts of like the top teams see on the field matter when it goes to like a player actually matriculating to get to the higher levels. Because like, I know as a college recruiter that if I trust a youth coach or I trust a junior coach, like his word probably means more than anything I'm seeing. Like if I see a kid that's really talented, but the coach tells me that he doesn't work very hard or he's not a great teammate, like, and I trust that guy, I ain't recruiting that kid. <laughs> or the other way around. Like maybe it's a guy that I trust that I don't really necessarily love what I see on the ice, but this coach is like, Tof, like this guy is going to get better. Like he's just the hardest working kid on the ice. Like he's the first guy on the ice and last guy to leave and does everything. And just, just keep watching him, keep watching him, keep watching. Like I'm going to watch him. I might not take his word of gospel, but you know what the coach says. So as somebody in the youth realm of, of soccer that actually has a, a path to getting up to a professional team, it's a little bit different, obviously in soccer, how much do the top, clubs talk to you about characteristics and stuff versus, Hey, I see this kid on the field. That's really good. We're just going to take them type stuff. It's, it's an interesting question because there's so many different, there's so many different outside things happening from the, uh, our second team and our first team at the professional level within our club. They're definitely calling and asking, how's this guy doing? Who's the next guy? You know, they're, they're asking those questions. There's agents that are always sniffing around. There's college coaches that are always around and college scouts. Um, we're, we're, there's national team scouts also for the U.S. and for other countries. So they're calling in players um, from, for their national team camps. Um, I mean, we're, we're, the, we're the first point of contact. We're, we're the ones that they want to hear. Like you said, how does the kid train? What's his attitude like? Looks like he's doing well. What do you think of it? They, they want to hear from us directly those, those characteristics. It reminds me of a conversation that I had during the uh, during the pandemic, uh, during lockdown, with one Mike Schaefer, um, as I was looking for the uh, the head coach of Cornell Vex, and so uh, <laughs> I know I told him I danced with his wife at his wedding. <laughs> he did. You did dance with Diane Schaefer at my wedding. <laughs> True story. What's up, Coach Schaefer? Hi, Diane. Uh, so I uh, during uh, during the lockdown, you know, I was. You know, looking for things to do and you know expand my mind, and so I, I called Shafe and and he and I were on a Zoom call for probably 60, 90 minutes. And um, like Vex, I was writing you know everything that that this guy <laughs> had said. Um, but one of the things I remember he he said was when when he's recruiting someone as much as possible, they want to see them in a training environment. They want to see them in a game in a really good even game in a game that their team is dominating in a game that their team is getting dominated. They want, he wants to see those guys in as many different areas as he possibly can. Cause now he has a really well-rounded view of what, of what this player is going to be like when you're playing in a big game on Friday night in line in front of a few thousand people. And when the pressure is on. And I, I think about that constantly from our, for our scouting department. Okay. This kid shines when his team is dominating or, Oh, this kid shines when, when his team is getting dominated, but you, you really need to have all those pieces. And, and that's what we talk about accepting challenges and, you know, and the character and the mentality that, that a young player can bring. 
I love that. That's one of the things we used to talk about a lot. And I've talked with other coaches about this too, especially guys that I really like respect in the game that do a really good job recruiting. Um, It's just watching a kid hate to lose and love the win. Like when you see that and it goes back to kind of like that, seeing them in different situations. Like if you can see them in a training environment in a small area game or something like that, they get really pissed off when their team gets scored on or something or their team loses. Like that's like, Oh, okay. Or the team's losing, you know, during a game, one of those games are getting dominated, but you see them just that they're not giving up. Like they're just really pissed off and, and, or if they're winning and they're not letting the foot off the gas pedal, they're still, they want, maybe they're up five to two, but they want that sixth goal. It's it's just that it's that, that will to win that I don't see that much (laughs) anymore. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that you see it, but like, I want to see more of that. I want to see that hate to lose that competitive spirit. You know, is that something that you guys really talk about too? I know that's because just from talking to Shafe, we talked about that a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, it's, it's something that's, um, you know, o- always on our mind is, you know, and that's why we try to see these kids over and over again before they enter our environment. But I mean, there's one example just recently, and I'm not going to say the kid's name, but my first session that I came to DC United, I was watching him and we we're doing a passing pattern and, and, and he, he kept messing it up. And I'm just looking at this kid like, I'm not sure about this kid. They then played a small-sided game, and it was just goal, 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 goal. And he played a, a, a huge part of what just happened when our 16s won that national championship. And he is celebrating like a madman. And you can just tell this kid loves to win. He hates to lose. He is an absolute competitor. That, that's the kind of kid you you know you go to war with. And those are the kind of things that you. That's why you have to watch these kids over and over again and see how they respond to different challenges. What What do you do to foster that? Is there anything like, do you, do you tell the kids like, like, cause I'm always looking for more ways to do that in the gym. Like I don't do like traditional training, like just lifting weights. We do a whole bunch of stuff. We play games every day. We play other sports and constantly I'm screaming, like want to win at everything you do. I don't care if I tell you guys to chew gum, chew gum, the best, chew gum, the fastest, like whatever. Like I want you to compete at every single thing we do in the gym. Is there anything that you guys as a club or a staff like do to kind of foster that love for competing? Um, the first thing we do is, you know, it's, we're, we're selecting the kids. So we, we at the forefront, select the kids that are, that are hyper competitive. Um, I think the other thing we do is during training, you know, as, as much as we can, like you said, as much as we can do is, 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 is a competition and there's, you know, the coaches are autonomous to, to coach the way they want, but it's, it's, it's competition heavy all of the time. And I mean, you know, when I, when I was coaching, if I'm setting up, you know, a passing pattern, I'll set up two patterns and okay, we'll get, we'll get our touches and get our technical skill in. But then this group is racing that group. How many times can this ball get around seven times? Like, and now you're, now you're adding a little element of competition into a technical activity. So it's like you said, if you can make everything a competition, then you're kind of, you're, you're, you're feeding that environment. You're feeding that within the individual. Love it. You do love that. I love Dude, that. I too. love competition. <laughs> I, I, always like just going to make everyone drive intention. And then, sure. you, and then you, and you point out the kids that, you know, that are competing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the one thing too, that, that, that I've, at least in the way that I, I do things within my realm is for the most part, I've found that instead of putting down the guys who are not competing, I prop up the guys who are, you know, like, 
pay more attention to them, pump their tires in front of all the boys. And, you know, everybody likes an attaboy. Everybody likes, you know, a pat on the back. And so, you know, like shouting those guys out and then it makes out that for me has worked better than coming down on the guys who aren't competing, you know? Yeah. I think that's smart. I love that. All right. Well, Oaks, we've had you on here, but I got one more question for you. So, you know, I'm not sure how it is in, in soccer in terms of like diversity of everything, race, socioeconomic status, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but one thing we should point out, obviously this is a podcast. I know you well, we are on zoom. I see you are a person of color <laughs> and, um, I, I wanted to ask you cause diversity in hockey is not necessarily the most awesome thing. You know, it, it's, we, we haven't attracted that much diversity in, in a lot of ways, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whatever it may be. Um, you know, for you, Mike Greer, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, Vex, Mike Greer, the first black GM of, uh, of an NHL team, which, which is awesome. And so, you know, for you, like, I want you to talk a little bit about diversity in hockey and, and where you kind of see it going, how it makes you feel. Um, because I know that's something that's important to you. So where do you see it? And, and maybe even like, how cool was it for you as a person of color to see Mike Greer being the GM of, of an NHL team? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And it's, you know, obviously he's a guy's a legend. And so it, uh, you know, it makes sense and absolutely happy to see it and see, uh, yeah, see more representation in, in the sport. And it's, it's something that, uh, you know, listen, I, I'm not going to tell you that it was, uh, you know, hockey was always an easy sport to, to grow up with, um, you know, in that capacity, the sport itself, love it. Locker rooms are, that's a tough place as, as you guys know. Um, and so that was something that was, you know, had to deal with and it, and it wasn't all it wasn't all bad by any means um and there's you know great friends and lifelong friends for sure but it's something that was just you know kind of always in the in the back of my mind of you know uh, i'm oftentimes the, the the odd man out or, or the butt of a joke here and there that that i have to deal with um well it's an interesting thing because you know you talk to a lot of people in hockey and they'll tell you i've never seen it you know, like I've never seen somebody be overtly racist or I've never seen, you know, anything from that sort. And I think that's kind of like um, almost lipstick on a pig where, um, you know, because we have so few people of color in our sport, you don't, you don't see it because you don't see that many people of color, right. you know, but if you talk to actually somebody that, that is of color, they'll be like, well, that's not necessarily, you know, my experience. Or if you've had a teammate, you know, I coached for the first time in, in my life this year, I coached a, a, a black player and, and you could see it in the refs, you know, and, and not like, not overtly racist stuff, but you're like, okay, these guys kind of have it maybe out for this kid a little bit. Um, and, and you never heard bad words or anything, but you can kind of sense certain things. And that's kind of like what a lot of the racism is. It's not like people shouting bad words at, at black people. It's just, it's kind of like the smaller gestures and things like that. So like, you know, for you, that that's something that you guys see and, and do you see it better now? Is it, is it something that like you feel like is going in the right direction? Where do you kind of see it? Listen, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the front lines the way you guys are in, in the sport, the way I, the way I once was when I was, you know, when I was playing, I was younger. So it's, it's hard for me to say it's nice to see, you know, some up and coming, um, players of different backgrounds, you know, some younger players in, in the league, you know, that's, that's always exciting to see and, and to see a little bit more, um, 
you know, representation and it's, you know, it's, it's not just black players. There's, you know, there's Hispanic players, there's, you know, there's, um, you know, there, there are players from a variety of backgrounds that I think, I think would just benefit from benefit the sport. Um, you know, I, I love the sport. It's a great sport. It's something I grew up with and I, you know, I want to see it grow. And I think that's such a huge next step, especially in, in 2022, in, in this day and age where, where things are so global and there's so much media and it's, it's possible now to reach different people in different areas and different demographics than maybe, than maybe it was 10, 20 years ago. So I think it's just a huge opportunity for, for the sport. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, kind of where this goes and what the next initiatives are for the next generation. Yeah. So for you, like, how cool is it to see Mike Greer as a GM? How cool is it to see Nazem Kadri win a Stanley Cup? Austin Matthews, who has Latino descent, you know, his mom is from Mexico, um, being winning the NHL MVP and stuff. Like, how important do you think that is for the sport as someone who's a person of color to get more people involved? Representation matters. So it's, it is, it's definitely good. Um, but there's so like, there's so much more to go. Um, I don't like, it's, it's good. Yes. And there is representation, but it's also like, all right, that's, we're not at the promised land. There's one black GM in the the league and there's a handful of minority players in in the league also. So um, I, what do you think we can do better? Like, what do you think can, can help to change that? I think, and we, what we talk about in soccer a lot is, is removing the barriers to play. Um, and so, especially at our level where we're, we're splitting the bill, we we're going to help kids get to practice. We're going to help kids pay for online school. So obviously there's a, there's a price tag to those things and hockey is inherently been, been an expensive sport to play. And so I, I think it'll just take some creativity and some, and some people to, invest in some of the in in some different areas and some different demographics and some different um you know people when it comes down to it that um i i think will just grow the sport exponentially and i'm I'm sure the nhl is you know and and professional leagues around the world want bigger fan bases and bigger participation in in what they're doing so i think it's just going to take some creative problem solving because i i i do see it as as a as a problem as as a barrier interesting to what the sport could be because you see it it's huge in north america it's it's huge in europe um and i i think there's i think there's just another step that the sport could take and i say that as a soccer guy where, where the sport is global and i and i it's you you see it on more of a global scale i love it all right man well we appreciate your insight and we appreciate your perspective on all of this stuff vex this was an awesome conversation yeah, it was great, man. So awesome. So awesome. Took more notes than I ever have. This is episode <laughs> 200 and something. We got to look at his notes to see if the words he spelled were right. <laughs> t- t- today, Junior. <laughs> no, I appreciate the conversation. I mean, Tope, this is stuff we've we've talked about, you know, here and there over, over the last few years. Um, I'm, I'm very honored to be the first non, non-hockey. Well, I wouldn't say non-hockey, but uh, representing another sport on this podcast. Um, you know, I'm always, I'm always catching you guys' clips and I'm trying to pick up on tips, tips I can use over here. 
Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate that. This was awesome perspective from, you know, obviously like a hockey tactical standpoint and how that relates to soccer, to the development standpoint, to the culture standpoint. I, I just think a lot of people are going to take a lot out of this one. So we appreciate your time. Great to see you. Uh, it's great to see you in person a couple of weeks ago. And we, it's almost like we see each other once a year now, but uh, it's always good to catch up. But uh, awesome stuff, man. And uh, best of luck in, in repeating as national champion. Next year. Yo. Get that. <laughs> Thanks, See ya.